Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. That's where we begin. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Started a message series last week entitled Blind Spots. Blind Spots. The uh, original idea for the message series came about a year ago when I heard a pastor named David Platt preach. He is the author of the book named Radical, and a number of you I know have read that book. David Platt was the first one I'd ever heard to talk about our ancestors, our, our four parents in the faith, uh, Southern Baptists who kept slaves, who, who kept slaves. And we look back at that. And we asked, how could they do that? How could they come to church every Sunday, put their offering in the plate? How could they read the Bible? How could they claim to follow Christ and not see the contradiction? How could they not see the evil of of that institution, the evil of, of, of what was in their own community, their own life? David Platt asked the question from that. He asked the question, what will our children and our grandchildren look back at us? How how will they look at our generation? And and what is it about us now that they will say, how could they not see that? What is it about us that they'll look back on and say, how could they do that? How could they not see the contradiction? The fact of the matter is we are all very likely to have blind spots. The church of, uh, of the past had blind spots, and my fear is the church of today, you and I have blind spots as well. So my struggle in preparing this message series is to try to see what we can't see, to see what we don't normally look at, and try to identify what, what our blind spots uh, might be. Last Sunday morning, I introduced the series. We talked about the old issue of slavery. Last Sunday night, we talked about the scandal of division in the body of Christ And this morning, I want us to to look at something different. I want us to look at the gospel. A while back, I was at a a potluck at a sister church, and uh, we were having the meal after the service. Y'all know me. I'm a fellowship guy, so I I had probably shaken every hand in the place, which doesn't bother me until it's time to eat, and I'm going to eat with my hands. And and then I'm enough of a germaphobe to start thinking, uh, you know, so I, I was sort of in the line hoping there'd be hand sanitizer, uh, our four parents didn't know about that. Maybe that was a blind spot too. But, but, but we have hand sanitizer. And I saw at the church there by the napkins and the plates a big jug of a hand gel. And I thought, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And so sure enough, I saw everybody going through the line. Everybody would you know, give themselves a squirt. And then they would start rubbing and they would start making their plates. So I got up there. Again, I, I'm not really a germaphobe. But I went ahead and I did two squirts. You know, because I wanted to get all the fellowship off my hands before I ate. And so uh, I gave myself two gigantic squirts, and I started to rub, and immediately it was, it was kind of obvious, this is not hand gel. It was not hand gel. It was hand soap. Now, y'all know that they're not the same thing. Hand gel, when you put it in your hands, no matter how much you put in, you start rubbing it, and it evaporates very quickly, along with 99.9% of germs. It's an amazing thing. Hand soap doesn't do that. When you put two big glops of hand soap in your hand and start rubbing, what happens? I think they call it lather. Lather. But it does not go away. And it's at that moment I look up the line and everybody in the line has this white lather on their hands. I mean, there's nothing to do. There's just absolutely nothing. It's not going away. You understand, you can't substitute hand soap for hand gel. They're not the same. They're not the same. What I want you to consider today is, is that 
is that the church in the United States, the church of our day, we've made a kind of switch. We've made a kind of switch. We've exchanged something valuable for something cheap, and unfortunately, we can't see it. We don't see it, but what we have traded is the gospel of Jesus, and that is why it is urgent, urgent, that we begin to see what we don't see. And with that, I, I turn your attention to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. You've heard the gospel preached, I would say, but you've probably never heard it preached like this, and this is Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Listen and, and look. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the dead bury the dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is, is not fit for the kingdom of God. You ever wonder why Jesus wasn't more successful? I mean, he's Jesus, and, and, and pardon me, stay with me, but, but you ever wonder why he wasn't more successful? I mean, there were times when he drew great crowds. You know, we know that there were certain episodes when thousands and thousands and thousands of people would, would come here and preach. So he did have a, a certain kind of draw, but Jesus couldn't keep the crowd. If he were preaching these days, we would probably send him to a conference or a workshop in assimilation. You understand? He could draw a crowd, but he couldn't keep a crowd. And he was Jesus. Why wasn't he more successful? He could preach like no one had ever preached and like no one will ever preach. You understand? He preached with authority because he wasn't just speaking the word of God. He was the living word of God. You understand that? Must have been nothing like his preaching. And he could work miracles. He could work miracles. He could open blind eyes. He could make crippled people walk. He could raise the dead. Do you understand? He could raise the dead. He could work miracles. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to hear him preach, to watch these miracles unfold before your very eyes. And people saw these things. And purple people heard him speaking with authority. But for some reason, he never was able to, to, to keep the crowd. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry when he died, remember, he left about 12 really faithful followers. Twelve. Twelve. Maybe a hundred or so who continued to hang on and, and assemble. But honestly, look at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, they scattered. Jesus never was able to create a mega church. He did not leave a, a mega church. Why wasn't he more successful? Well, I would say it has something to do with, with sermons like this. When Jesus preached to people, when he talked about the way of salvation, 
when Jesus gave the invitation to follow him, it was a radical invitation. You've got to pay attention to this. When Jesus spoke and he invited people to come and follow him, it, it was a radical, dramatic, amazing kind of invitation to leave everything. It was an invitation to leave everything and follow him, to sell everything to one guy that, that he said, to, to leave home, to leave family, just to leave, drop everything and follow him. That was the invitation. Did you understand? And obviously, there were a lot of people who heard Jesus' offer of salvation. A lot of people that heard him preach. A lot of people that understood fully what he was asking them to do, but they turned away from following him. They heard the invitation, but they walked away. I guess... I guess looking at Jesus' ministry begs a second question, and that is why do churches in the United States seem to be so successful? Why is it that Jesus could, could barely keep 12 together and somehow we, we can have close to 600 in this house today? How is it even possible? How is it possible that the church in the United States, the church of our day, can have these enormous mega churches? It's like six flags over Jesus at some of these churches. Do you understand? You, you park your car miles away in a gigantic parking lot, and, and the buggies come and pick you up to take you to the door, just like Disney World. These amazing monster churches. It, the, the success of the church in the United States is staggering. And puzzling because in Jesus's day the the gospel of Jesus preached by Jesus it never managed to attract that kind of following however when we preach the gospel we managed to turn a whole lot of people on what is the difference I, I think something's been exchanged and, and most of us never see it. What's been exchanged is the gospel. When Jesus preached the gospel, it, it was a radical and dramatic and important call to leave everything and follow him. It was a, a radical call to, to leave the old life. It, it, it was, a, it was a, a, a tremendous invitation to value Christ above every, everything else and follow him. And, and a lot of people heard the invitation, but honestly, that they turned back. That it, it was too much. It, it was too much of a challenge. It, it was just too much. But that's not the way the gospel's preached. That's not the way we preach it t today. We have a different kind of gospel. We've exchanged it. You understand? All of the, the radical call of Jesus we've somehow replaced. The, the radicalness has been drained out. We have exchanged the gospel, the radical gospel of Jesus, and we have replaced it with a very comfortable gospel that pleases us. It's a gospel that demands nearly nothing from us. Nothing from us. Just be really, really honest. Most of us in this house, in the overflow, in the sound of my voice, you call yourself a Christian, but you haven't left anything. You haven't left anything. There has been no, no important change of your lifestyle whatsoever. 
It costs you nothing to follow Jesus. You've left nothing. It takes no miraculous power. It takes no grace for you because honestly, you just simply have accepted this very easy, very comfortable gospel. But you need to understand, that's not the gospel Jesus preached. How frightening to think that our blind spot, our most important blind spot would be the gospel. That the most horrible thought would be that some of us are blind to the fact that we're not even following Jesus. We're in church, we call ourselves Christians, but, but how incredibly frightening to think that we're deceived, that, that we're under some delusion because we're not really following him. Look at the scripture. This is an amazing scripture and one that you've probably hardly heard preached it's a scripture that talks about three different people who make a commitment to Jesus. Three people who make a verbal, public, beautiful, dramatic, complete commitment to Jesus. Only Jesus knows they don't mean it. Jesus knows they don't mean it. First man says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if we can get somebody to say those words, we'll have them sign the card, we'll take their picture for the screen, and we will call them a Christian, baby. I will baptize them quicker than you can say anything, and I'm telling you they'll be in the church until they die. I'll preach their funeral. All it takes is something like those words. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, but Jesus says not so fast. Not so fast. And says, so Jesus, I will follow you any place. And Jesus says, well, you need to know I don't have a place. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. Jesus says, you, you should probably know that, 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 that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. What's Jesus saying to this man? It's not going to be comfortable. Following him is not going to be comfortable. And the assumption is that in each of these cases, these, these would-be disciples, they drop out. Once Jesus fully explains what following him is going to entail, they back out. They, they back out. You see, when he says, I'll follow you anywhere, there's a blind spot there. He doesn't understand what following Jesus is going to cost him. I, I know, salvation is by grace. I, I know, of course it is. There's not a thing I can do to earn my salvation. There's not a thing I can do in order to earn God's love. I don't have to earn God's love. I don't earn my salvation by doing good works. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the radical change that takes place when a person begins to follow Jesus. It's a radical change. It's a complete shifting of priorities, an incredible rearrangement of your loyalties. The man says, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to know that this is not going to be comfortable for you. It's not going to be easy for you. Now think about your life. Think about your life. Think about the way we preach the gospel in the typical church. Think about most Christians you know. It's not the kind of following that Jesus describes here. 
It, it's not that kind of following at all. Jesus says, you need to know that, that, that I, I don't have a place to lay my head. You're going to follow me, you could end up homeless. Jesus told the rich young man, you need to sell everything you have and, and, and then come and follow me. You, you understand that? Disciples scratched their heads and said, my, my goodness, how, how could a rich person ever even get saved? And Jesus said, well, some things seem impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You understand that it's kind of a miracle? It's kind of a miracle. And what you and I don't really understand is how rich we are. And this is probably part of what blinds us to the genuine call of, of the gospel. We live in the United States, and I love, I love our country. It's the greatest nation ever in all of world history and the greatest nation in the world today. And we're so wealthy. We're so wealthy. Poor people in the United States have a higher standard of living than most people in all other parts of the world. Do you know that? Do you know that? Our phone calls will spike here at the church about the month of November. People start calling saying, well, Brother Tim, my family ain't going to have no Christmas. Can you help us? Can the church help us? We're not going to have no Christmas. And my heart breaks because I know it must be horrible not to have money to buy toys for kids at Christmas. But do you understand that? We consider that a tragedy that people don't have extra money to buy toys at, at Christmas. That's still a luxury. It's, it's luxury. And we don't know the difference. In our day, in our age, we don't know the difference between luxury and necessity. We have no idea the difference between luxury and necessity. We want all the stuff. We want all of it. We want the entire American dream. We want lives of comfort and lives of ease. We do not know the difference between a luxury and a necessity. And Jesus says it's very, very hard for rich people to come into the kingdom of God. Very, very difficult. Why is that? Because we love our stuff. We love our, our lifestyle. We want our life of comfort. We want a life of ease. We want to call the shots. We want to be in charge. We want to make a name for ourselves and, and glorify our, ourselves. We want 15 minutes of fame. We want iPhones and, and iPads, and we want new clothes, and we want new cars and gigantic TVs. We want all of that stuff. Want all of that stuff. Meanwhile, Jesus issues a call to us to come and follow him, but he says up front, it's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about a comfortable life for you. It's not going to be about you calling all the shots. It's not really going to be about you just sitting back and deciding what you want to be when you grow up. It's not really about that at all. If you're going to follow him, he's going to command your life. He will command your life. And if it's going to be about following him, you're going to have to recognize that he is worth giving everything else up for. If it means that you lower your standard of living in order to have more to give, do you understand? You do that willingly and freely because Christ is worth it. He, he's worth it. But now honestly, honestly listen and think about your life. You're like this guy who says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. But let's be honest. You haven't followed him anywhere. You haven't followed him six inches since the day you made the commitment to him. And you call yourself a follower? Think about your life. Think about the last week. Is there anything in this past week that you would say you only did a choice that you made simply because Jesus guided you that direction? 
In your life, can you talk about the moments when everything got changed because God revealed his, his plan for your life? Is he really in command of you? Because if he's not, you're not following him. You're not following him. But you don't see it. You don't see it. Because you look around at the church and you see everybody else sitting there just like you. Everybody else living the same kind of worldly lifestyle that you live. And you look around and honestly everybody else seems to be in the same boat that you're in. And so it seems normal. It seems normal for us to have this kind of cultural Christianity. Where we go to church and, and we dress up but then we live the rest of our lives any way we please. It, it's not the gospel. It's not the Christian life, but we don't see it. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, you need to know, I don't even have a place to lay my head at night. If you follow me, you can expect the same. We assume the man turned back. Man, another two steps up and Jesus says, follow me. He looks at the man and says, follow me. And the man says, I, I, I will, but, but first, and understand, that's the key word in that sentence. It's, it's the word first. Because discipleship, following Jesus, is always going to come down to what you put first in your life. I don't know how to say that. Do you understand that? It's about what comes first for you. Honestly, burying your father sounds like something very, very important to do. I know some of you have lost your dads, and you can't imagine not being at the funeral. Can't imagine standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, follow me. And the man says, I will follow you, but first let me bury my father. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, let somebody else bury your father. You need to come with me. You need to come and preach the kingdom of God. Somebody else bury my father? What's Jesus saying? Can you understand now why he couldn't keep a crowd? Because you keep saying stuff like that and people are going to not follow you. If you continue to raise the bar so high, if you keep looking at people and saying crazy things like that, you understand nobody's going to follow. And honestly, understand Jesus isn't looking for a great big following. He's just looking for those who will follow, the true worshipers in spirit and truth. Do you get that? It's not about a mega church. It's about individual hearts. Let somebody else bury your father, Jesus says. Your duty is to come and preach the kingdom of God. You understand what he's saying? Family doesn't come first. Family doesn't come first. The kingdom of God comes first. We all got families. Most of us have a lot of family members. And I'm promising you that family members will give you a multitude of reasons not to follow Christ. And sometimes they even seem like good reasons. Sometimes it's just a simple fact that your spouse won't come with you. That you have to come to church Sunday after Sunday by yourself. And it's so discouraging. You know what it is to have all of the burdens and all of the busyness of being in a family. A family's going to give you a, a zillion reasons not to follow Christ. But Jesus lets let somebody else bury your father. Your duty is to preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom comes first. That's hard. Some people read this verse, though, and say that this is probably not the situation it looks like. I mean, think about it. If this man's father was really dead, chances are he'd be up at J.C. Kirby Funeral Home making arrangements, you understand? More than likely, this is just an elder son 
who in that culture, they understood that it was going to be their job to bury their parents. The eldest son knew his whole life that he would be paying for the burial, that he would be in charge of all of the arrangements. It was the oldest son's job to bury the parents. So think about that. What he's actually saying is, Jesus, I'll follow you, but we're going to have to wait till after my parents are gone. I'll follow you after dad is gone. Now, think about that. Because you and I do that. We're always going to get serious about our relationship with Christ, but we're going to do it later. Later. Some of you have lived your entire life this way. When you're little and growing up, you just say, Lord, I'll follow you, but I'll do it later when I'm older. Jesus, I'll follow you, but but I'll follow you after I get out of high school because it would be really awkward to to be a standout Christian in, in high school. I'll do it after high school. Actually, I will follow you after college, but because that's when life really starts after college. Right now, I just want to have fun. It's my time, and I want to enjoy myself and learn. And after college, I will follow you after college. I will follow you after I get married. Right now, it's sort of my time. I'm alone, and if I go to church, there's really not a class for me anyway. I will follow you after I get married. When I'm married, then I'm going to bring, we're going to be one of those families that come to church after I'm married, after we have children. When we have children, then we'll come back. Right now, it's just really, really hard for for me and the missus to get to church. But when we have kids, I I just know that I was always raised in church, and I want to raise my kids in church. After we have kids, after our kids... After our kids get older, right now it's just a busy time because we've got kids and we're just run, run, run. And, and, and we're in a travel ball league. And, and every single Sunday, you see, we're playing ball. And so, and so Jesus, I'll follow you, but it's going to be after the, the, the kids get older, after the, after the kids get older. Actually, Lord, I'll follow you after things slow down at work. This is just, you know, it's, it's really difficult now. I'm at the stage in my career when I can't slack off because if I slack off, somebody will move up in front of me. Right now, it's going to be about work. But Jesus, once I get established in my job, then I'll follow you after I retire. After I retire. The missus and I are going to have a lot of time after we retire. After we retire, then we're going to get really, really serious, and we're going to follow the Lord after we retire. You understand you're never going to do it. You're never going to follow him. This is not a timing issue. It's a heart issue. And if you do not have a heart to follow Christ, there will never be a time for it. Be honest. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, no, you won't. Let the dead bury the dead and come on and follow me now. If you're going to follow me, follow me now. There's not going to be a better time. There's not going to be another time. This isn't a timing issue. It's a heart issue. And you do not have a heart to follow him. But you don't see it, do you? You don't see it. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to all the old gang. Let me go back home and I'm going to pack and say goodbye to my family. Then I'll come back and follow you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. You won't. Nobody. Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. It's an agricultural kind of metaphor. Y'all know any farmers? 
I've said, Joe Neal, you got the prettiest fields in the world. How in the world do you make those mile-long rows so perfectly straight? You ever notice that? Driving down the road, the, the rows are so pretty and straight. What's the answer? You're driving that gigantic planter, that gigantic tractor. What do you do? You, you fix your eye on one spot straight ahead of you, one spot on the horizon, and you drive straight to it. If you're up there looking around, looking back, if Paul's up there looking back, you're going to drive all over the field. You understand? It, it, it's about focus and having a singular focus. I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but first I'm going to go back and say goodbye to everybody. And Jesus says, no, you, you're not just looking back here. You're going back. You, you're going back. There has to be a, a clean break. A clean break with the old life. There has to be a clean break with, with all of your old ways, all of your old friends. There's got to be a clean break. You cannot follow Christ and continue to tag along all your old girlfriends. Do you understand that? You cannot claim to follow Christ and continue to go back to your old ways. Now, you may choose to do that, but you're not following Christ. At least be honest about it. I'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, if you constantly have to keep going back and touching base with the old life, kingdom's not for you. Are you listening? Do you even see it? My fear is that the churches in the United States are absolutely full of people, just like the three individuals in, in this passage, that they continue to say, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, but they're not following. They're not following. They haven't taken the first step to follow him. There's no life change. There's no commitment. There's no leaving anything to follow him. There's no price to be paid. There's no discomfort. Some of you haven't even had a bad day yet. Do you understand? If you're not following him, then you cannot call yourself a disciple. You cannot call yourself a Christian. I don't care what kind of commitment you made. If Jesus is not the Lord, the commander of your life, then he's not your Savior either. There is no part-time commitment to Christ. There is no half-hearted following him. If he's not commanding your life, if he's not guiding your steps, if he is not your top priority, then understand he's nothing to you. At least be honest, he's nothing to you if he's not everything to you because he will not take the scraps of your life. I want to give you a chance to respond, but I don't know how to do it. If you think that walking down an aisle and kneeling at an altar is somehow going to magically, magically make you a Christian, you need to understand, that's not the gospel. If you think that just slipping up your hand when every head was bowed and every eye was closed, if you just think that slipping up your hand and then living your life the way you just want to live your life, if you think that's being a Christian, you've been painfully misinformed and you don't see it. You don't even see it. We preach this cheap, guilt-free, worry-free, commitment-free brand of Christianity, and we call it the gospel, and it's not the gospel, and nobody seems to understand that. Nobody even misses the challenge that Jesus offers in Scripture to follow me. Let the dead bury the dead and, and follow me. 
put me first, leave everything else and follow me. That was Jesus' invitation to salvation, and it has not changed. It has not changed. Would you follow him? Would you follow him? Maybe you never have. Maybe you made some sort of commitment when you were a child, but deep down in your heart, you know good and well, Jesus is nothing in your life. You you don't pray. You don't follow him. You haven't left anything. Would you follow him now? Would you make a real commitment to him now? You've been playing Christian for so long. Would you become a Christian now? It's God's free gift to you. It's a free gift of grace, but, but this is a grace that transforms your life. Anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, everything is new. Are you ready to make a clean break with the old life and let Christ make everything new? Are, are, are you ready to leave family, to leave your home, to leave your wealth, to leave your job? Are, are you ready to put everything on the table for him? Because if you're not, you can't follow. You're not going to follow. You can say, I'll follow you all that you want, but your feet aren't following him. It's horrifying to think of all of the people who say that they're going to follow Jesus, but they're not following him. And they don't see it. You don't even see that you're not following him. God help you. Pray with me. Lord, I pray today that you just open blind eyes. Open, Lord, deaf ears to the gospel, the the genuine gospel of Jesus, the gospel of salvation by grace, by faith, the, the gospel of life change and new creation, Lord, and a new path for our feet, Lord. There are people who claim to be Christians in this house, Lord, but they live like hell. They just live like hell. God, there are people who who call you Lord and Savior, but they're in command of their own life, Lord. They don't consult you. They don't ask, Lord. They're not looking for direction. They, They call their own shots, Lord, and they're content with that life. Open their eyes, Lord. Help them to see that that's not Christianity, that that's not following you. Oh, Lord Jesus, every single one of us has the same offer of salvation, the same invitation to follow you, oh, Jesus. But not all of us who call out, Lord, Lord, actually have feet on the path to the cross. God, help us. Lord Jesus, forgive me for the way I've cheapened the gospel. Forgive me, Lord, for the way I've given folks the impression, Lord, that that salvation costs you everything and would cost us nothing. Forgive us, Lord, for going through Sunday after Sunday after Sunday making it all about ourselves and living lives of comfort and ease while you continue to carry your cross for the world. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that all of us in this house, all of us in the sound of my voice who intend to follow you, Lord, help us to hear the call anew, to leave everything, to put everything on the table, to have nothing in our lives that's worth more than you, oh Jesus. We will follow you. We will leave everything. Though nobody goes with us, though it costs us everything, we will follow you, O Christ, because you're worth it. Because if we lose the whole world and gain you, O Christ, we have everything. O Jesus, let us lose it all and gain you that we might have everything. We pray these things in your precious name and for the sake of the gospel.